It's like the skydiver who hesitates on the edge of the plane. Like the 12-year-old trying to decide if he'll ride the roller coaster. Like the boyfriend, if he's unsure if he's going to propose. One foot in, one foot out. Sitting on the fence, half-hearted, half-committed, neutral. That was the spiritual condition of the people of Israel during the reign of King Ahab. And the call from God is for all who call upon his name to not sit on the fence, not be neutral, not be lukewarm, but to be all in for Christ. That is what we are going to see this morning in 1 Kings 18. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. First and second kings give the history of the kings of the southern tribe of Judah and the northern tribe of Israel. Judah, the southern kingdom, had a mixture of both good kings and bad kings. Israel, the northern kingdom, only had evil kings. After the kingdom split, after the death of Solomon, the Israel went north with the ten tribes. Judah stayed in the south. And we saw this mixture of good kings and bad kings amongst Judah and only evil kings up north with Israel. When we get to 1 Kings 17, we're introduced to the prophet Elijah. He's doing ministry in the northern kingdom of Israel. Elijah was a bold preacher. He was a black and white fella. He made bold declarations and did not mince words. He declared the word of the Lord and he did not apologize for it. His first declaration in chapter 17, verse 1, was that there would be no rain in the land of Israel for years. A season of drought that was so severe, it came upon God's people. The northern kingdom of Israel, they had turned their backs on the Lord and they had pursued after other false gods. In chapter 18, after three years of drought, the Lord calls Elijah to go to Israel's evil King Ahab. Now, Ahab's wife was Jezebel. Jezebel worshiped the God of Baal. Well, as the prophets of Israel would stand and preach the wickedness of worship of Baal, Jezebel slaughtered many of them. So to say that evil King Ahab despised Elijah is an understatement. This was not just a rivalry. Ahab and his wife Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah. Notice how they greet one another in chapter 18, verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, the one ruining Israel? He replied, I have not ruined Israel, but you and your father's family have, because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. What's Elijah doing here? Elijah is setting up a showdown at Mount Carmel. He is ready to settle the dispute once and for all. He is tired of Israel going back and forth, worshiping the Lord and then worshiping Baal. But this was not a friendly scrimmage. This was not a best two out of three. They were playing for keeps. Loser dies. 
Well, when it comes to following the Lord, you must commit 100% or not at all. The Lord rejects half-hearted commitment. Notice in the text how Elijah led many to wholeheartedly follow the Lord. We see first in the text the choice everyone has to make. The choice everyone has to make, verse 21. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. You see, the people of Israel have been going back and forth between worshiping Baal and worshiping the Lord. They were half-hearted, half-committed, one foot in, one foot out. So Elijah forces them into making a decision. He tells them, you have to choose. Quit being half-hearted. Stop limping back and forth between these two opinions. Decide who you're going to follow and be all in. The Lord Jesus commanded the exact same type of allegiance in Matthew chapter 12. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. You see, Jesus rejects half-committed followers. Half a commitment to Christ is the same as not being committed at all. I mean, you have to choose. Who would want to run a business with someone who doesn't believe in the mission? Who wants to play ball with someone that doesn't care if they win or lose? Who wants to sit under a teacher who's just buying their time towards retirement? You see, when it comes to following the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to choose. And God does not give you the option of being in two camps. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus brought judgment upon, upon the church and said, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. You see, to be average, neutral, lukewarm in your faith is the equivalent of vomit to Jesus. And here we see Elijah calling God's people up to Mount Carmel to settle once and for all. Be all in or walk away. It's interesting here for some of you. You're dancing back and forth by being liked and praised by the world and wanting the same praise of God. Hear me, you can't have both. You have to choose. You can't have the praise and acclamation of the world and hear the same applause from God himself. James chapter four, verse four says, friendship with the world is hatred towards God. See, hear me. Jesus was not half-hearted when he went to the cross. He was all in. He wanted to rescue you. He wanted to redeem you. He wanted to bring you into a right relationship with God. And so he goes all in and he gives it all for you at the cross. How can you and I give him anything less? You see, the call to be a disciple of Christ is not just this tepid, average, go through the motions. It's a call to absolute allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is where the people of Israel are. They're so tepid. Verse 21, their response is, but the people didn't answer him a word. Elijah was met with silence. You see, 
we now begin to see where Elijah's plan unfolds. He challenges God's people, get off the fence, make a decision, choose, which leads to number two, the challengers against Elijah. Verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I'm the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers with fire, he is God. All the people answered, that's fine. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar they had made at noon. Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away, or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. We see in the text, Elijah is throwing down the gauntlet. He sets up a challenge. He sets up a competition between himself and the prophets of Baal. The contest was a winner-take-all final decision of who is God, Yahweh or Baal. Elijah is way outnumbered. We see, verse 22, that it's 450 verses 1. You see, Elijah stands before these prophets and all the people of Israel, and he is surrounded like an island in a sea of people who don't support him. For some of you, there may be times in which you will have to stand alone. Maybe it's at your office, in your school, on the college campus, or maybe even in your own home. If you're going to passionately follow Jesus Christ, if you're going to be all in for Christ, you may find yourself standing alone. But hear me on this, though you may feel lonely, you are never alone. The Lord Jesus Christ abides and lives inside of you. Ephesians chapter one, you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. God himself abides and lives inside of you forever when you trust in him. You may feel lonely, but you're never alone. But also when you stand for Christ, you are always in the majority. When you stand for Jesus, the high king of heaven stands with you. Be not afraid. Here is Elijah going toe to toe against these prophets and he does not flinch because the Lord stands with him. Jesus promised us that. In Matthew 28, he said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. But Elijah, he's also apparently stacking the deck against himself, not only when it comes to the number of people, but also the task of the competition. 
Elijah sets the terms of the challenge. Two bulls will be sacrificed, placed on the altar at Mount Carmel, and whoever is truly God will send fire for the sacrifice. Now for Baal, he's the God of weather. The people worshiped Baal in hopes that he would bring good weather so that they could have good crops to eat. So from the false prophet's perspective, this is easy. Yeah, we'll sign up for this. Baal can certainly make fire fall from a a beam of light from the sun or from a lightning bolt. Surely this is something he can do. It's like Elijah is setting up a pickup basketball. It's make it, take it, play to 10. The other team gets nine and they get ball first. He's setting the whole thing up against himself. He's setting them up for an easy win. But as the prophets of Baal are crying out with loud voices, as they are dancing around the altar, verse 26, there was no sound. No one answered. So Elijah starts trash talking. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he got lost. So they start shouting louder and louder. They start cutting themselves with knives and spears. Blood is gushing everywhere. Verse 28, trying to get Baal to answer them. All day they're doing this. But notice what happens, verse 29. There was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. What's happening here in verse 29? Well, in Hebrew, there is no such thing as the exclamation mark. If you want to emphasize something, you have to repeat it. So if you repeat something twice, that's huge. But if you repeat it three times, it's like exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Kind of like in Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Well, here in verse 29, we see there is no sound. No one responds. No one is listening. You see, those who cry out to other gods will be met with silence. There is no response when you come to idols because idols do not respond. Idols do not speak because idols do not care. Habakkuk chapter two. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It's only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts its shape trusts in it and makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who who says to wood, wake up, or to mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. Listen, any God you run after will never comfort you, never help you, never speak to you, never care for you like the Lord. Money will not speak to you. The promotion will not care for you. Trophies sit on shelves and collect dust. See, when it comes to idols, idols ultimately lead to death. My kids love to hear me tell stories about my childhood growing up. So this past Wednesday, we were driving home from church, and my kid said from the back of the van, he said, hey, Dad, tell me the story again of how you put your faith in Jesus. I told him, man, I grew up going to church sometimes, but not really that much. I wasn't all in on this whole Jesus thing. I got to high school, I had three gods that I worshiped. The first was a girl, the second was a sport, 
The third was myself. And everything revolved around this relationship with this girl. I had plans to go play professionally in that sport. And I was all about me, very arrogant and prideful. When I graduated from high school, I lost all three of my gods. Girlfriend broke up with me. My leg was snapped in half. And all of a sudden, I didn't really feel like living anymore. And one night, I was in my bedroom by myself, and I turned to my Bible to 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And I knew that I didn't. And so I got on my knees, and I asked Jesus to come into my life and to change me. And at that moment, that is when I became a follower of Christ. Let me ask you a question. What's the most important thing to you? However you just responded in your mind to that question, just identified what sits on the throne of your heart. And whatever sits on your heart other than the Lord Jesus Christ is an idol. Whatever that is, it will not save you on the last day. And what we see in the text is as these Baal prophets are crying out for their false God to answer them, they were met with silence. But the beauty of the gospel is that when you trust in Jesus, he is not silent. The Lord speaks to you. The Lord cares for you. The Lord is interested in you. He is not far off. No, he draws near to us. And when you trust in Christ, when you surrender your life to Jesus, you find that unlike Baal and any other God in this world, he is not silent. He speaks and he draws near to you. So Elijah here, he's also pointing them to number three, the champion who responds in power. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name and he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, and placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Then he said a second time, and they did it a second time. And then he said a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. At the time for offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Verse 38, then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. 
Elijah calls the people to himself and he shows them what true worship is. It's one that's not based upon chaos. It's not based upon self-mutilization, but the covenant-keeping God. He takes the 12 stones, the same number of the tribes of Israel, and he builds an altar to the Lord. It's a place of sacrifice for the glory of God to be on full display. But notice here that he is showing that this was gonna be completely a work of God. He pours four barrels of water on the sacrifice in the wood. And he pours it not once, not twice, but three times. Water has saturated the altar. Have you ever tried to start a bonfire with wet wood? Elijah is showing that if fire is coming, it must be an act of God. But this is also a costly sacrifice. James chapter five, verse 17 says, Elijah was a human being as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. See, water was a precious commodity. People were not out watering their lawns. They were not having swimming pools installed. They weren't going to the water park because it hadn't rained in three and a half years. But you see, the drought was also God's way of showing that Baal, the God of weather, is no God at all. The Lord God is the one who is sovereign over every drop of rain and every ray of sunlight. But isn't it interesting how God tears down any gods that compete against him? He will not give his glory to another. I find it interesting, I was thinking about this last night, that as a people in our nation who bow down to the idol of money, that when we were at the peak of our income in 2008, the Lord humbled us. The Lord will not allow his people to bow down successfully to any other God. And then verse 36, Elijah boldly approaches the throne of grace for his help in his time of need. He cries out, answer me, Lord, answer me. Why? So that Elijah can look good in front of all these people? So that Elijah can leave a legacy? So he doesn't look all foolish? No, verse 37 so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Elijah has set up the challenge in obedience to the Lord's command and he asked for the Lord to show himself to his people so that their hearts might be turned back towards the Lord. And what happens next is even greater than some pyrotechnic show. It's a demonstration of the power of God. Verse 38, then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. God was displaying his power and affirming himself as Yahweh, and he is the one and the only true living God. There is no other God besides him. There is one and only one, and his name is Jesus. As we live in a polytheistic culture that worships all kinds of things, that says all religions got to agree, no. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
You will be called bigoted, closed-minded, and I've even be called a Nazi for standing fast with Jesus, but you've got to decide, will you stand with Jesus or will you stand with the world? You have to choose. Right now, make up your mind who you want the praise from. A temporary golf clap from a fake, hypocritical world? Or do you want the eternal praise of heaven? You have to choose. You see here, we see Elijah crying out to the living God who answers him. Hear me, beloved. When you cry out in faith, the Lord answers you. The beauty of the gospel is that when you cry out to God, the Father, through Jesus, the Son, in the power of the Spirit, God answers your prayers. He is personally involved in your life. He loves to hear his children pray in faith. And so when you come before him to your Abba, to your Father, to your Daddy, and say, God, here is my heart, here's my life, here's what I'm dealing with. Oh, God, would you respond? He gets involved. God responds to the cries of his people. And so as all of this is taking place, as Elijah is seeing the work of God take place, notice what it leads to. Number four, the confession of the people. That they declare, verse 39, when all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The people had seen the work of the Lord and they were humbled. They called on the name of the Lord and they submitted to his lordship. Yahweh was the undisputed, overwhelming champion. You see, when you see the power of God on display, it compels you to fall face down and cry out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But God is also doing something bigger here. Years later, there would be another costly sacrifice. This costly sacrifice would not be water in a trench, but blood on a cross. God would send another prophet, the true and better Elijah, the prophet who is the true Israel, the one whom the 12 stones are pointing to. You see, Jesus Christ is the greater Elijah who voluntarily crawled up on the altar. He himself crawled onto the altar so that he could be the one who endures the full wrath of God. You see, the cross is where the fiery wrath of God fell upon God's perfect sacrifice, Jesus. God has gone on record with how much he loves you and he displays it by Jesus voluntarily, willingly, gladly, joyfully going to the cross for you to show the power and the glory of God through the greatest sacrifice. And it's not a bull placed upon an altar, but God's son upon a cross. This is where God shows you his love. This is where God shows you his glory. This is where God shows you his power, which is why Paul would go on to say in Galatians 6:14, "May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You and I have nothing to boast in in and of ourselves. We boast in the cross." That is where the power of God is on full display in the one who is greater than Elijah, King Jesus. 
And this is a text that's driving us to Jesus. And so when you see what God has done for you in the cross, it compels you to make the great confession. The Lord Jesus, he is God. The Lord Jesus, he is God. And yet as your pastor, my concern is that some of you are still waffling back and forth at verse 21. You're wavering between two opinions. You want the praise and the accolades of the world while also having the praise of heaven. Hear me, you can't have both. You have to choose whose praise do you want the most. And hear my heart on this. You cannot worship at the altar of going to the lake, playing sports, sitting on the couch to the neglect of gathering with Christ's people and be all in for Christ. A statistic I saw this week that just alarmed me. Nationwide, the average Christian attends church 1.6 times per month. One and a half per month. And if I'm being honest, I've seen it here. Inconsistencies, trends, patterns. And part of being all in for Christ means that you're going to make gathering with God's people a priority. Because you will rarely find someone who is growing in their walk with Jesus apart from the local church. This is the way God designed it. Is that through the local church where we lock arms with other believers and it's there when we gather regularly that we see the power of the gospel in which God teaches and instructs and compels us to worship. And my concern is that if you're allowing the priority to become a preference, eventually it's going to lead to neglect. And so as we look at the culture around us, you and I, we need each other more than we ever have before. And parents, here's reality. The chances that your child is gonna go play professional sports is extremely low. But there is a 100% chance your child is going to stand before God. And as their parent and as their shepherd, your job is to help prepare them for that moment. You want to shepherd their hearts and lead them to where they can see Jesus as the one who's all satisfying. Jesus is the one whom their soul longs for. This is what God's called us to do as believers. So to be all in for Christ is what you say, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forsake all the idols that are crowding in my heart and I want Jesus alone to sit there and I wanna follow my life and the pattern of my life based upon who he is and who he says I'm to be in him. It's the call of discipleship, to follow hard after Christ and that we do it together. As the followers of Jesus, we say together we're gonna follow hard after Jesus and we are all in on him. Question, what is it that is crowding your heart? What sits on the throne of your heart? What is preventing you from being all in for Christ? Is it your career? 
Are you seeking to climb the ladder? Are you looking for that next promotion so that you can find the affirmation? May I say to you, it will never satisfy. Are you looking to alcohol just to fill that need? Are you letting drugs to creep into your heart and life? They're preventing you from seeing Christ clearly. Maybe you're allowing pornography or sex to crowd your ability to say Jesus is the one who ultimately satisfies. You're going to find your heart is never satisfied in idols because idols are never satisfied. They keep asking for more. As these prophets of Baal are crying out for their false god to respond, they are at the point where they are cutting themselves with blood gushing. What has brought them to this point? Hoping that their efforts would be enough. And God says, my son is enough. Idols are never satisfied. I am satisfied with my son. And so when you look upon him, I am satisfied in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory who abides and lives within you forever. Be all in for Christ. And when I think about what it costs Jesus to go to the cross where he lays it, he gives it all. He lays it all down. He is the perfect sacrifice. He climbs up on the altar, volunteers to do it. Why? Because he loves you. How can we give him anything less? How can we just tip God with our leftovers? How can we say, God, I'm going to give you a day of the week and say, God, here's all of my life. Use all of it. My life is yours. I'm only breathing because you said so. My heart beats only because you've ordained it. I'm only in Christ by your grace. And so God, here is my life. You can have all of me. Question, what's keeping you from that? And whatever it is, forsake it. Throw it away. Turn your back on it. Run to Christ. In fact, that's, that's the challenge. That's the, the impact point. And it's to choose today that Jesus is Lord and be all in for Christ. You have to choose. It's a decision you have to make. And no one else can make this decision for you. As much as I want as a parent to make this decision for my kids, I can't. And as much as your pastor, I want to make this decision for you, I can't. But I pray that the Holy Spirit would compel you to say, God, I'm ready to be all in. I'm no longer lukewarm. I'm no longer going the way of the world. I'm no longer looking for comfort and, and satisfaction in this world. Christ, I want you no matter what. And then you, you declare with Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let's follow hard after Christ. Let's be all in. Because he was all in for you at the cross. Thank you.